Hello, I'm Monsignor Trimosanti. We on Personally Speaking today are having Jennifer Samard, a great Broadway actress who's now appearing on Broadway in company. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and Tony-nominated actress Jennifer Samar joins me now. Jennifer is currently playing the role of Sarah in the Broadway revival of Company. Her other Broadway credits include Mean Girls, Hello, Dolly, and Disaster, which earned her a Tony nomination for playing Sister Mary Downey. Jennifer's film credits include The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, uh, also Wish You Were Dead, and Sisters. Jennifer is married to Brad Robinson, and she's here with us today to talk about being back on Broadway, the healing power of comedy, and the faith and values that sustain her. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome back to Personally Speaking, the Tony-nominated actress, Jennifer Samard. So let me, let me begin by, first of all, welcoming you back to our program and asking you a question. I used to head up an office in my diocese called the Office of Family Ministry, and it got me into this whole thing of trying to understand a person better by understanding their family of origin. The family of origin, the people who made you, the people who raised you, what did they do right, Jennifer? Uh, Roland and Yvette Samard, two of the greatest human beings mm. I've had the pleasure of knowing. My parents, they mm. always supported me without being stage parents, so to speak. Uh, you know, they grew up in the depression and so they knew the value of education. So they were always there to lend a hand whenever I wanted to take class or anything regarding this field. Um, and they always came to my shows. They were extremely supportive and up to and including my brothers. Uh, in My dad was a teacher and he had summers off. And in the summer of 74, brought us as a family for the first time to the Palace Theater in Manchester, New Hampshire, which is a beautiful vaudeville theater built in 1915. Looks as beautiful as any Broadway house I've performed in. Wow. And it was the first time I saw a show. I saw Fiddler on the Roof. And of course, I saw a girl my age playing the youngest daughter. And uh, I saw a girl my age playing the youngest daughter. And uh, from the front row of the balcony, I was tugging on my mother Yvette's coat saying, Mommy, I don't want to be up here. I want to be down there. <laughs> so they um, they nurtured so they nurtured that passion from a very young age, but they would be happy no matter what I did for a living as long as it made me happy. And uh, related to family, pardon me for that. Related to family, Jennifer, you've said in other places that uh, one of the things you love about uh, all all theater is the closeness that the the cast comes to being a family itself. We've had the mm -hmm. privilege now that you're a company. We've had a bunch of your uh, brothers and sisters from Company On. We've had Chris Sieber and Matt Doyle and Etai Benson and uh, just recently Bobby Conti. And then years ago, I had, when I was a friend of Matt Landers, he was dating a, a young chicky named Patty Lapone when they were in working <laughs> together. So there's a whole lot of good people in that cast that are part of your cast family. But here's what I'm wondering. When, when the play ends someday, as it will, uh, mm -hmm. how do you go separate ways without feeling a sense of loss that these people who were close friends, close mm. collaborators for so long are now moving in different directions. 
Well, the short answer is you don't experience it without loss. It is a loss. Mm. It's the end of a chapter. But the unique thing about this show is this will forever and ever be our COVID show. We have all been a part of this show in one way or another since, well, uh, and Patty longer than that, excuse me, but the rest of us since 2019, since the audition process. So, you know, we're going on three years of over three years now of this experience. And that's very rare for any show. And strangely enough, we weren't together like mm. a normal three run, right, right. three year long running Broadway show, right? So uh, the trauma, the collective trauma that we all went through, let alone us in our microcosm, um, is something that is forever bonding. Yeah. Uh, because only we know what those Zoom meetings were like among all of us. And the <laughs> the hills and valleys of trying to be positive and dancing and sometimes not being able to show up because you just needed to hide under the covers. The fear <laughs> of the unknown. And, you know, as a man of faith, ha- trying to have faith right. with no with no foreseeable answers. So yeah. it was a, a forever bonding experience. And it's something that one can't recreate in a centuries, you know, what is it, what the last pandemic was over 100 years ago. This is not Mm -hmm. something we're likely to experience again. No, thank God, yeah. We hope it never comes back again. You know, uh, speaking of intimidation in terms of things that can be intimidating, one of the guests we've had a few times over the years was Elaine uh, Stritch, Mm -hmm. and and an incredibly intimidating person, even in just Mm -hmm. one-on-one conversations. But she takes this role on in company and, and... considers herself to be, you know, I define the role. Patty comes on, she dares to take it on and does a really great job, but but now you've Mm -hmm. taken it on too. Any intimidation taking on this ladies who lunch role? Oh, well, just for clarification's sake, my actual role in the show is the principal role of Sarah, which was, uh, right, which Barbara Berry uh, created and it's an honor to step into that role. But yes, I, I do cover Ms. Lapone. And so unfortunately she did have a recent bout with COVID. So they, Mm. they put me on and, and of course it's intimidating because these are, these are legends that I grew up admiring and trying to emulate. Uh, Mm. And in fact, I, I tweeted, uh, people of course were asking questions, you know, what's going on, who's going to be on, et cetera. So I, 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 I tweeted the truth, which is I, in a storage unit in the Hudson Valley, I have a cassette tape of me singing I Dreamed a Dream at 18 years old, desperately trying to sound as good as Patti Lapone. And I'm wow. still trying. I'm still trying and I will forever be trying uh, because there's no one like her. She's irreplaceable. And I, all I wanted to do is make Patty feel uh, safe while she convalesced and to keep mm. my head down and do my job. And I believe I, I, I did, but believe me when I say no one was more happy than me when she came back healthy, <laughs> happy, hopefully rested. And I was able to go back to Sarah, which gives me such pleasure eight times a week. Right, right. Now, you know, you talked before, Jennifer, about the experience mm-hmm. of loss, especially when a cast goes its separate ways or lives separately as you did during the pandemic. But I want to talk about a different kind of loss. And I'm just wondering if you have any insight into it. I, I live with and take care of my 101-year-old mom, and she's my closest friend, and I adore her. But I know someday I'm going to have to let her go. You, you've gone through that experience with your mom. Any mm-hmm. insights into is there a, a right or wrong way to, to grieve? Well, well, 
what a beautiful question and i love that you want to go there the only thing i can say is grief is different for everyone mm. and there is no right or wrong way and it's important to remember that the only pathology is whatever takes the loved one away from you whether mm. it's the disease or natural causes etc cetera, etc cetera. that one cannot judge how a sibling might grieve or a partner might grieve or a friend might grieve it truly is unique to each individual and the other thing i will say is that death is not like the movies mm. it's messy even if it's clean and peaceful in one sleep there is a tendency to have regret no matter what you do or what you don't do so it's very important to love oneself and hug oneself and realize that this is something and a club that you never want to be invited into. Right, right. And my mother died at 76 years old and mm. was my favorite human being. And I love my husband so much because he knows that he's my other favorite human being. So, and it was my greatest fear losing my mother. And I am proud to say I bore witness. Mm. I held her hand and um, I know I can do anything going back to your last question. I know I can do anything because I faced my greatest fear yeah. and survived. Yeah. I wanted to ask too, you said in other parts about your mom that uh, she was without a doubt the funniest person you ever knew in your life. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, when I read reviews of anything you do, they talk about this incredible uh, timing and sense of comic uh, uh, ability that you have. Um, was that something, I'm wondering when you have that, that gift, is that something genetic that mom passed on to you or is that learned behavior? That's very funny. My mom was not a performer and used to laugh that she couldn't sustain a note on pitch. So it's not like she was a performer. <laughs> but I also want to give a, a shout out to my father because mm. I, I think between the two of them, they formed who I am as a person. And I, if I subscribe to any style of acting, I guess it's Uta Hagen a bit, and it's just using your life experience and who you are and bringing that to the table from on a day-to-day -day basis, wherever you are. And I truly believe that in pain lies the greatest comedy. Mm -hmm. And if I can look at both my parents, while they both have both colors within them, maybe my mom was the, the happy clown and my dad a bit more of the sad clown. And I'm equally grateful for my dad He's not terribly sad, by the way, but uh, maybe a bit more in touch with pathos. Um, and they really balanced each other out that way. So I, I think from my father, I, I'm able to tap into a, a deeper, darker side. Mm -hmm. And my mom was always the levity and the brightness. And that lives within me. And I do bring that to my work every day. Uh, and so I, I, I thank them both. And I thank every every experience because all of them have informed who I am yeah. and that's what I try to bring to my to my performance every for, night. For our listeners and watchers who may not know Jennifer also was brave enough to do a, a one-person show uh, called Stigma that had to do with uh, addressing issues of, of some of the challenges we face including mental illness. I mentioned that Jennifer mm -hmm. because one of our recent guests was a uh, a Broadway actor named Bobby Segert. We had had him on when he was still on Broadway, and now he's given all that up to become a, a therapist, a psychologist. And he yeah. says that his uh, his his plate is full of uh, of clients who come in, and that the majority of them are themselves artists, people from the world of theater. Um, now I'm thinking to myself when I hear that, 
That could be because people in the world of the arts have lots of, lots of baggage, more than most, or that they're more sensitive and aware of the fact that there's no better way to deal with the challenges of life than to get the help you need. Any insights into why Bobby would say, yeah, my, my clients are largely from the autistic community, and, and how is the yeah. best way to deal with the stigma? Because uh, I find mm -hmm. it in my parish, if I say to someone, well, I'm, I'm a spiritual guy and I'll, I'll walk you through your spiritual problems, but I think, you know, for heavy-duty psychological stuff, you should get professional help. No, 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 if we can't solve it ourselves, we can't go to a third person to get help. This kind of uh, uh, mm -hmm. defensive response to any kind of mental or emotional illness. Uh, any yeah. insights from putting the show together into what we're supposed to do? Well, this is, of course, my opinion, mm -hmm. uh, but I believe that the latter phrase that you refer to is the truth, that most people do have issues in this regard, obstacles, let's say, to overcome. Right. And artists tend to be fairly self-aware and sensitive because we wouldn't be terribly good artists if we weren't. Yeah. So I, I do think most people don't have that outlet and that gift that we have. We do a great disservice to men in our society, for example, mm. just suck it up, yeah. stiff upper lip, right. you know, uh, boys don't cry. Th this is nonsense, of course. Yeah. So my only advice would be to talk about it. And when you do have a public platform, like mm -hmm. uh, as small as mine is, I do have one to speak because if you help one or two people, that is enough, and that gets another person talking, and another person talking, and another person talking. The right. only way to destigmatize something is to put it into the light mm -hmm. and to bring the darkness into the light. Darkness is not a bad thing, but we think that it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can only, you can't have the light without darkness, frankly. Yeah. And so I think it's just reframing the way we talk about it. Yeah. And uh, to make it as normal as a peanut butter sandwich and a glass of milk, <laughs> because that's what I think. Right. So don't be afraid. Talk about it. And honestly, I think my next cabaret show will be much more light and Broadway centric. Mm -hmm. But when I because you can do a million different types of shows. Right. But for for that one, it was just I, I wasn't interested in that. I really wanted to do something opposite of what my stage persona seems to be quite frankly because uh, uh what is that quote I, I am large i contain multitudes and so and yes. so do most people most yeah. people contain multitudes and we don't allow people that room mm -hmm. and we really we really ought to jennifer this goes back to when we we met and talked a while ago but uh, one of the things that i found myself attracted to in your personality was your kind of openness about being a person formed in faith and uh, raised Catholic. And uh, a lot of people are very, very apologetic about being in any way associated with uh, a religious or spiritual perspective. Uh, and you're not, you kind of like put it right out there. And I mention that because uh, Kelly O'Hara, Victoria Clark, Edward Herman, great actors, but have all said on a program like ours, I kind of get pushback sometimes for being a spiritual or religious person that uh, our world is highly secular and uh, people get nervous about people who freely express their faith. Uh, how about you? Has I, I, that ever been a problem for you? Or are people very respectful of where you're coming from? Oh, I'm fortunate to live in a community that's fairly respectful. At least that's mm. been my experience. I was actually just talking with Patty yesterday about uh, rosary beads in her dressing room. I, she has some rosary beads in her dressing room, and I was asking her about them because 
again, I think I told you this years ago, I have, my parents made it fun. They all, you know, they would read from the children's Bible and my mom was the first one to teach me how to, how to pray with rosary beads. So when, when I was going on for Patty, just looking at them sort of calmed me down. <laughs> you know, uh, because I, I we, there was that commonality. And, uh, you know, it's something that uh, I love. And it's something as simple as the architecture. I love churches. I, um, And also, it brings me back to my childhood, which was, you know, relatively speaking, happy. And, you know, I just remember the Stations of the Cross. And, uh, you know, I remember all of that. And uh, it's very, um, and my first experiences with that. But as a family, my my, my parents always made it uh, a fun experience. And I haven't had problems bringing in questions that I've had or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and inviting in other other uh, spiritual experiences into my life. My husband and I got married at a Unitarian Universalist church, and I I love what UUs stand for, and that's sort of what we believe in, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what we believe in. And I I guess I would say I'm spiritual more than anything else at the moment. There's a, in the interview a while back with uh, Edward Herman, who's now since gone to God, but he said he was backstage one time praying his rosary, and uh, someone came by saying, "Like, are you still ha- you still go with that? I mean, that's such an old-fashioned thing to do." And he said, "If mm-hmm. I had Eastern prayer beads, you'd be calling me politically correct, but I'm a Catholic, mm-hmm. and uh, and my rosary gets me in trouble." But uh, you know, we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about this last time, but even more so now, I'm intrigued because we're further on in the whole process. Mm-hmm. Every weekend when I get to do weddings, I uh, I want to give a homily that's not some boilerplate on. Uh, you know, love and marriage. I want to talk about why they mm-hmm. love each other and why they're getting married. So each couple write me an essay on why of the billion people out there, why is this the one? Now with a few years under your belt, why was Brad the one? Why is he still the one? Mm. Yes, we've been married 17 and a half years. Wow. You were married um, at 12 together. years old? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, we're going to, we're just going to go with that. Uh, but no, um, so we've been mar- we've been together 21 years and married 17 and a half. Oh. And uh, Brad is the yin to my yang is my best answer. I we complement one another. We have a lot in common and we we are each other's best friend. Mm-hmm. He loves me for the things I least love about myself. Wow. And I think vice versa. My mother always used to say, Jennifer, when you meet the right person, you'll love them not in spite of their faults, but because of them. Hmm. And I think that is who we are to one another. And after so many years together, I'd also like to add that I believe love of this kind and this age and vintage is a choice. Uh, I had sought the advice of my then 107-year-old aunt right before we got married. And I said to her, Aunt Adrian, do you have any advice for us? And she said to us, never allow your head to get turned. It's not worth it. Mm. And I always think about that because uh, if you think you're not going to find someone else attractive, then uh, you're a very different human being than I am. Uh, So it is a choice of what uh, uh, you know, of going through the seasons of love and living past the initial infatuation. And if you stick it out, I think mm-hmm. you find things can be far 
deeper and richer than you'd ever imagined. Okay. I want to go back to company now since that's uh, very much part of your life right now. A uh, mm -hmm. couple things. One is you're doing eight shows a week at this point? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Week. So mm -hmm. how in the world do you get up on that stage, and you've done it so many times before, but I'm the kid who's coming to his first play, his first mm -hmm. musical, and stay fresh and energetic and mm. present it as if it was the first time. How do you do that? Oh, well, you stay steely-eyed focus on how absolutely privileged and lucky you are to be on a Broadway stage. I mean, if you take that for granted, I, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And now more than ever, I'm extremely aware of the privilege I have and the, the, the fortune that I have to do this mm. when it was so, it, on many levels, but not, not the least of which is the real question if we were ever going to have a vaccine and was science going to be able to save us. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm, I just feel so grateful because we're all on a clock and one day, one show I will do will in fact be my last Broadway show. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's this one. So I think about these things all the time and I'm really trying to savor every moment because like we discovered March 12th, 2020, it can be gone overnight. So I, I have very, very clear perspective on how lucky I am, and I enjoy it. Well, that's a perfect segue. The indefiniteness of the work you've chosen to do with your life, um, and I'm sure that, because you're a working actress to be sure, but there have to be times when you go for things that you know you're right for and don't happen. Do you have a particular mm. insight into uh, how to handle disappointment or rejection or, or, or the mm. letdown? Is there a way? I mean, it is constant. It is cyclical. There's mm -hmm. always this fear. I still have it where you're going to be right back to the bottom rung of the ladder or right back to pounding the pavement and, you know, mm -hmm. thinking you're right for something, doing really good work, but not getting it for X, Y, or Z reasons. And the only thing I can say is experience has taught me that there have been times where I've been deeply disappointed fast forward days, weeks, or months, or even years where I will look back and think, huh, but you know what? If that had happened, X, Y, and Z wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I wouldn't be in this great place that I am now. So I do believe uh, it's important to realize that sometimes things just happen a certain way and you can't see the forest or the trees, but it mm -hmm. doesn't mean that that path wasn't the right one for you. Um, and that comes back to faith, right? right. Uh, I was talking with an actor the other day. Uh, we were saying that, you know, it's part of the challenge of eight shows a week, as grateful as we all are, is you're exhausted all the time, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, physically, emotionally, spirit, you know, spiritually, if I might add. Uh, and you're craving balance, but then when you do have free time, i.e. your show is no longer or you're in between jobs, you're you have that rest and that balance, but you're wondering how to pay your bills. So it, it really <laughs> does take a lot of mental acuity to stay positive yeah. and to stay in faith that you're going to be okay. And by and large, my my type of uh, carny folk, we, we are cats and we fall <laughs> on our feet and it will be okay nine times out of 10, but you can't always see the path in front of you. Jennifer, right after our show with you today, we're going to have uh, our old friend uh, Kristen Chenoweth on. And I know she's mm. talked sometimes about being so overwhelmed 
uh, energy-wise, that she has just, after a show, not talked to anyone, like completely gone silent mm -hmm. to save her voice and stuff. When you finish a yeah. show at the end of the night, how comfortable are you at, at dealing with the folks at the door and going home and talking to Brad and uh, keeping yeah. the energy level up? How do you handle it? Well, it depends on the experience that I am in and what mm. is required of me. At the moment, it's a bit of a skewed situation because we're not allowed to stage door right now oh, right, because, right. Of, okay. because of the pandemic. So that's hard for the fans and us. And we love our fans. And it, we please know if any of fans are listening, it's not personal, but we, we have an obligation to the organizations we work for to try to keep everyone safe. And we are in a bubble. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as my personal life, I will say that when I was on for Ms. Lapone, for example, I, I definitely would come home and you know, my husband was kind enough to hit the couch <laughs> and let me let me sleep like a starfish in the middle of the bed because I, you know, I, I felt a huge responsibility to stay as healthy and vocally rested as possible. And so we worked as a team. He, No one is a better pit crew than my husband. Jennifer, just thank you so much for, for being with us and personally speaking. For our listeners and viewers, uh, while it's in New York, please think about coming to see Company. It's an incredible cast uh, and a, a whole new approach. I had been for many years, Jennifer, a letter writer, and he'd write back with, uh, with Stephen Sondheim. And uh, I'm sad for you guys that uh, he's gone, but I'm also happy that he knew that one of his greatest works is, is having a new and wonderful production in New York right now. So I hope our, our listeners and watchers go and see it, and particularly see Jennifer, who is always, always a bright light. Thanks for your hope, your goodness, your honesty, and uh, Jennifer, thanks for being with us. It's, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much. This program is made possible in part and sponsored by Bullion Shark, a leading rare coin dealer. Do you remember the Bible story of the widow's mite? The widow's mite coin is the type of coin that circulated in the Holy Land and is mentioned twice in the Bible. It's now possible to have one of your very own. Bullion Shark, a well-known rare coin dealer, has a limited supply of these biblical coins and each coin has been professionally certified. You can buy one or more of these rare coins for just $99 each. While supplies last, their number is 1-888-355-1587. And their website is www.bullionsharks.com. This 2,000-year-old unique coin is a piece of biblical history that also makes a perfect gift. Each coin comes with NGC certification to guarantee authenticity and a story card detailing the story behind the piece. You can own a piece of the biblical story that can be passed along to family members for generations to come. Once again, Bullion Sharks number is 1-888-355-1587 and their website is www.bullionsharks.com. What a great opportunity to own or to give as a gift the very coin mentioned in the Bible. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me, if you have any points of view or opinions, you can ask those questions at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you next time again on Personally Speaking.